I want to start off by reading from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's Revelation 21, 1-4. And before we start in our text, I wanted to read that beautiful text and that image of God in a future day dwelling with his people and the promises it gives us. So remember the words of that as we go through Psalm 84 this morning. Um, before I read the text, I want to go through a little historical context um, with this psalm. So you'll notice in the superscript above the, the psalm uh, that it mentions this is a psalm of the sons of Korah. So God often appointed other tribes within Israel in important roles, um, just like the Levites were appointed to handling the Ark of the Covenant. The sons of Korah were assigned as gatekeepers for the tabernacle. Um, so in 1 Chronicles 9, 19, it says, Shalom, the son of Kor, son of Abiasaph, son of Korah, and his fellow gatekeepers from his family, the Korahites, were responsible for guarding the thresholds of the tent, just as their ancestors had been responsible for guarding the entrance to the dwelling of the Lord. So as I read this text, um, picture our psalmist standing outside of the temple, observing all that is around him as he's being the gatekeeper for the temple. So let's read Psalm 84. To the choir master, according to the Getith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. 
No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So that's where I get my title for today's lessons. Blessed are those who dwell in the Lord. There's three things I want to focus on in the lesson in in the psalm um, based on that title. It's blessing, dwelling, and the Lord. So the word bless or blessing is used four times, and then there's even more uh, implied blessings within the text as well. And the word dwell or dwelling is used three times. But then there's also the use of courts and house, nest, and tent as, as a dwelling place as well. And finally, there's at least 12 different ways that the Lord is referenced in our text alone. And you'll see the th- these three things incorporated throughout the text. So our text starts with the psalmist admiring the temple itself. In verse 1, he says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. The dwelling place in in this case was the temple. Um, For the Israelite, the temple was the holy place on earth where they connected with the Lord. And we've seen countless number of references throughout the Psalms to the temple or to Zion um, where the temple resided. And as our uh, our psalmist was standing at the gates of the, the temple, he takes it all in and gives praises to the temple itself and to the Lord. Our psalmist then transitions to his internal feelings about the temple, saying, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. And the psalmist, deep in his poetic descriptions, yearns to be in the presence of the Lord. And remember, this is the son of Korah, or the descendant of Korah, whose position in the kingdom was the gatekeeper for the temple. And still, he is to the point of fainting at the idea of just being in the courts of the Lord. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. And in other translations, that sing for joy is uh, translated to crying out, just to emphasize the the magnitude of his longing. So within this verse, verse 2 alone, uh, we have our psalmist yearning to be in the temples or the, the courts of the Lord. With his soul, with his heart, and with his flesh. And I don't think there's really any other part of him that's left to, to describe how much he just wants to be there at the temple. So we've seen our psalmist describe how lovely the temple is and how much he wants to be there, but why exactly is he saying all this? What is all this yearning for exactly? And we see in the starting in verse 3, the blessings that come to those who dwell in the Lord's house. In verse 3, it says, Even the sparrow finds a home. Now, the sparrow is used throughout the Bible, and it's described as small, common, humble, or lowly. In fact, Jesus uses sparrows in his lessons a couple times, saying, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And another time he says, Are not five sold for two pennies? So clearly buying in bulk was the better deal. So, but... <laughs> Um, <laughs> but in both cases, he goes on to say, and not one of them is forgotten before the Lord. And the other, he says, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from God. And those are in Matthew 10 and Luke 12, respectively, if you want to look them up later. Um, but the point is that even 
this common insignificant bird finds a house or a home in the house of the Lord. Verse 3 continues, And the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. So those who don't know, a swallow is this restless bird that darts back and forth wherever it goes. It's super quick. It never slows down. It's fast moving. And so the idea of this restless bird that's moving constantly, finding rest and refuge in the house, or how verse 3 says, at your altars, would be very encouraging for our psalmist or anyone who was observing this, that they could find refuge and settle down in the house of the Lord. Be very encouraging. In verse four, this for our psalms, this is like a conclusion or the culmination of this first section, saying, "Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praises." So it's a bit confusing because no one actually dwelled within the temple or actually lived within the temple. But I think what the psalmist is concluding, um, based on his longings and his observances, is. Those are, who are in and around the temple are blessed in many ways. And not only blessed, but they worship and praise the Lord. Which is a callback to verse 2, where himself, who spoke of his heart and his flesh, singing for joy to the living God. And we see in verse 5, those blessings continue. But there's a slight transition in who those blessings are for. So back in verse 1 and 2, all the pronouns were in the first person. So the psalmist was talking about himself saying, my soul longs, my heart sings. In verse 3, we're about the birds. Now in verse 5, the psalmist is using pronouns those and they. Um, Blessed are those whose strength is in you. So who are the those or they that he was speaking of? The verse continues to say, in whose heart are the highways to Zion? So as the psalmist focused on the temple and those around the temple in the first four verses, he's now focused on those who are far from Zion, who live along the highways that go into Jerusalem. And that's where the majority of Israelites lived. They lived outside the city, away from the temple, didn't have the luxury of being there right by the temple and its blessings. So the thought is, where are those who live far from temple going to get their blessing? Where are they going to receive it? Or really, I should ask, who are they going to receive their blessings from? So we saw in verse 3 and 4, the psalmist is addressing the Lord by saying, At your altars, or O Lord of hosts, my King and God, and blessed are those who dwell in your house. So when he says in verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you, he starts to just reveal where those blessings are really coming from, and that's the Lord. And the Lord's really the focus on the, our psalmist's longings and desires. So at the beginning, I told you how many times the Lord was addressed in, in the psalm. Look at all the ways that it, it comes up throughout the text. He calls him Lord of hosts, Lord, and that's Lord was Yahweh, living God, my king, my God, Lord of God of hosts, God of Jacob, and he refers to him as a sun and a shield. So, so many different ways are the psalmist is addressing the Lord, just using different titles. And the psalmist continues in verse 6 to let us know exactly what those blessings are that, were, that they were receiving from the Lord. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it 
a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. So when I started reading and studying this text, I immediately went online to figure out where this Valley of Baca was. I thought, okay, this would be perfect. I can talk about this for a while and give some context and some geographical stuff. Maybe throw up a map like Pastor Jeff does or something. But I quickly figured out that it wasn't necessarily an, like a, a physical or actual place within Israel. Um, the word Baca translates to weeping. And specifically, in this use, it's, it's a weeping tree like a balsam tree. And balsam trees were known for growing in dry, desolate areas where there wasn't a lot of water. Um, so it's likely that the psalmist was using this name, Valley of Baca, as a way to describe a desolate or a difficult place to live in, or for the Israelites, maybe a difficult situation that they were going through. So it was more like a metaphor than it was an actual location. Um, so thinking about that, there was hope through the Valley of Baca for the Israelites, whose strength is in the Lord. Because we look at what happens to those to that dry and desolate land at the end of verse 6. They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Now Bill had a similar line in his lesson when he did Psalm 126, um, where the psalmist pleads in verse 4, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of the Negev. Suddenly the Negev, or Valley of Bach, are filled with blessings of springs and pools of water that certainly would have been a sight for sore eyes for anyone living in the area or traveling through it. And those blessings continue through verse 7 as our, in our text as the psalmist describes traveling on those highways to Zion. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. So traveling through the desert on the way to to Jerusalem, the pilgrim would have faced many difficult situations, um, and it certainly would have been fatigued from all the traveling as well. But when their hope is in the Lord, as our psalm says, they go from strength to strength, or is translated differently from blessing to blessing. The Lord guides and strengthens them along the way until they reach their destination in Zion. And when they do arrive in Zion, they will enjoy all the blessings, being in the presence of the Lord. Verse 10 says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And even standing at the gates outside the temple is better than dwelling in the tents of wickedness, as verse 11 says. Now, what could be misunderstood here is the meaning of tents of wickedness. And it seems it may seem really easy for anyone to say they would rather be in the courts of the Lord than being in the tent of wickedness on face value that makes complete sense. But there was something from Dan's lesson a couple of weeks ago when he was teaching on Luke and talking about Jesus being tempted by the devil and the idea of wickedness and the devil's work it isn't always suffering. It isn't always darkness. Sometimes the tent of wickedness is comfort, it's safety, it's shelter from the elements. It's what our flesh desires. But that's what makes this text so beautiful. Better is one day in your courts. Better is being the doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than a thousand days where you could get everything you want in life. That's, what, that's how much better being in the presence of the Lord is. 
And just to get a glimpse and to get a taste of it, it was a huge blessing for our psalmist. And he concludes in the psalm by praising the Lord for who he is and what he's done and what he does for those who trust him in him. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The Lord is all-powerful, almighty. He is the one who gives favor and honor. Or as Nasby says, in this case, grace and glory. And he will not hold back anything from those who are walking in the way of the Lord and trust in him. He will bestow all grace and glory and nothing less. So if you've been paying attention, I know everybody has, I can tell. You may have noticed that I skipped over verses 8 and 9. And that was for a reason. I wanted to emphasize that while this psalm is focused on the blessings of the Lord, it is through prayer that our psalmist is requesting that Lord's favor and grace. He in fact pleads to the Lord twice in verse 8. First by saying, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Then again, give ear, O God of Jacob. The psalmist goes on to pray, look on the face of your anointed. Now, the anointed at that time would have been David or, in this case, the temple's already been built, so Solomon through David. But I think, I believe that ultimately this points to the anointed one in Jesus and the promise of the Messiah to come. And it would be through that Messiah, through Jesus, that we would receive the same blessings that the psalmist is longing for. John 1.14 says, And the word becomes flesh and dwells among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the Holy Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now the word dwelt here is the same word that describes the Lord dwelling in the tabernacle or the, the temple in our text from verse 1. But when Jesus was on earth, he was the temple in the flesh. And the Lord no longer dwelt in one single location, but was with Jesus wherever he went. And when Jesus died, the curtain was torn in the temple. This not only symbolized the barrier between man and God being removed, but also by faith all men to receive the spirit of the Christ. So by faith, we are reunited in Christ. So we are always in Christ. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3, Don't you know yourselves? Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple? That the Spirit of God lives in you? He goes on to say in chapter 6, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, when we receive Christ in ourselves, we ourselves become the temple, or that temple that the psalmist was longing for. We no longer have that physical location that we have to journey to or yearn for to be in the presence of the Lord because he lives within each and every one of us that puts their faith in him. So what are the blessings that we receive now from, the, from God now that he dwells within us. Well, we can look back at the blessings that the Israelites received when they were near God in the temple. 
Individually, being that our bodies now house the temple, we are never without the Lord. We wake up in the morning with the Lord. We walk throughout the day with the Lord. We go to sleep every night with the Lord. What that does is a complete change in perspective when you realize that your body is no longer yours, but it is being used by the Lord for good in your life and those around you. It changes the way we speak. It changes the way that we act, the way that we worship God. And corporately, or as a church, we all come together, all having the Lord with us, and, being, and we sing praises and worship together to the Lord. It's our way to celebrate and to thank the Lord for blessings that he gives us and gives to all of us. Now think about the Israelites and the journey they would go on on the way to Zion. Think about the ups and downs that they would face physically through the mountains, but also they dealt with the troubles of traveling those distances as anyone would with, with traveling. But now think about the journey that each one of us goes through in life, the ups and downs that we go through, the times that we go through that valley of Baca, that time of you know darkness. Um, but what a joy and blessing it is. No matter what's going on in your life, high or low, you have the Lord within you through it all. And all of a sudden, when you're feeling down or depressed or grieving, what, whatever it is, what does verse 6 say? They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. All of a sudden, we get that picture from Psalm 1 of the tree planted by this stream of water. We know that our times of darkness will not last because the Lord will lift us up from within us and restore us and put us back on the right path. Every journey has a destination. For the Israelites, it was Mount Zion to be with the Lord. For us, our journey, Lord, the Lord travels with us as we traverse through the life, our life to our destination in heaven. And the psalm says, Along the way we go from strength to strength, from blessing to blessing, until each one of us appears before God. So lastly, we receive these blessings, this strength, by trusting in Christ. Our psalm ends by saying, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Trust in Christ means having no doubt that he will deliver us through whatever circumstances we find ourselves in in this life. Trusting in know, is knowing that God sent his only son to live among us, to suffer just like us, to do it without sin so that he may be our perfect sacrifice so that all of our sins would be purchased and we would be considered righteous before the Lord. So as I come to my conclusion, I wanted to leave you guys with three applications from the text. First, pray. The psalmist pleads to the Lord, give ear, hear my prayer. We have all been given this gift of the Spirit of Christ within each one of us to allow us this direct communication with the Lord. Use it. Use it to tell him how great he is. Use it to tell him how you're feeling. Use it to ask for forgiveness, for blessing, for healing. Use it to ask for him to transform yourself and the church to be the temple that he has called each and every one of us to be. 
Second, your body is a temple treated as such. To finish what Paul was wrote and what he was saying to the Corinthians in chapter 6, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, we are still humans. We have humanly desires. We have sin. But as Christians, we are called to act differently than the world. This means we ought to think, speak, act, love differently than the world does. All of our actions should be out of worship for the Lord who owns our body. So lastly and third, we as a church are a temple. Paul in Ephesians 2 tells us, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. As Uncle Ben told Peter Parker in Spider-Man, great power comes great responsibility. We are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Not one of us can do it. Not one. Not Jeff. Not Dan. Not Pierre. Not any one of us. We must come together as one church, as one body, and become the temple in this world. We must do this for each other, and we must do it for those who are seeking refuge. We need to be prepared when those sparrows and those swallows are in need of shelter to take them in and to be the temple they desperately need. Because one day, just as I read at the beginning from Revelation, Christ is coming back to create a new heaven and a new earth for God to dwell with us. And we must be prepared for that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a beautiful, beautiful text this was. So, such an honor to be able to, to teach this. And so thankful for the opportunity. I pray that each one of us would take the lessons from this text, that each one of us would realize that the temple is no longer in Zion. The temple is now living in each and one and every one of us that puts faith in Christ. Lord, and what an amazing blessing that is. What an amazing blessing we receive from you every time we think about this, every time we realize that the, the Holy Spirit is working in us and is living within us. That every time we wake up, every time we walk around in this world, every time we go to bed, you are with us. What an amazing thought that is. I pray that each one of us would realize that we would, we would use it to, to pray to you, that we would be praying often and we would be praying, telling you how amazing you are what an amazing God you are who gave us this gift. That we would pray for each other, we would pray for the church, we would pray for our loved ones, that they would be receiving the same gift that we have received. So that one day when Jesus comes back, that everyone would be prepared for that day. Lord, I pray that we would use our bodies as such that it 
that knowing that it is a temple, that we would live the way that you would want us to live we're in worship of you every single day that we would act differently than this world we would desire things different than this world we would not give in to sin like the world does or, or the things that the world wants that we would not dwell in the tents of the wickedness but we would long for those that one day just the glimpse of knowing and being near you and knowing how much of a blessing that is, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your spirit this morning working through me, for calming my nerves. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all this. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.